You're listening to Blood and Steel, the Guild Nine Gaming Podcast, exploring the shadow of the Demon Lord tabletop RPG. Check us out at guildnightgaming.com. Thank you again for everybody uh, coming to the Blood and Steel podcast. Hey, you're more than welcome to come yeah, in. Yeah, come on in. Yeah. Yeah. Injecting horror in your RPG. Yeah. So, injecting horror into your RPG. Thank you guys for coming. Um, we're really excited to, to cover this topic. Uh, there seems to be a growing interest in doing a uh, either adding elements of horror into your RPGs as uh, as DMs or as players, um, or you know running whole campaigns or sessions. You know, just maybe a one shot. So hopefully the tips that we give you today work for both. Um, what we are trying to do with this is show how you can put it into maybe a campaign or a session. We're not really going to cover how you create a horror setting. Okay, so we're not trying to create the horror world um, that you would be operating in. We're really trying to say, okay, here's how you set up the scenarios to inject that horror flavor into the actual session that the players are playing. So just a little bit of semantics there, I guess. Yeah, I think because uh, it's creating the actual story uh, and one that can be that can have elements of you know fear, terror, suspense, dread, horror, all that. That's something on the side, but actually implementing that is what's important at the table. So we want to talk about how do you implement those things at the table to actually really have the players experience it when you're there. So before we begin, begin so we know kind of who we're talking to, um, how many of you are here to kind of learn this as GMs? That's pretty much everybody. Okay, which is, which is kind of the audience that we're hoping that we'd get. Because you're the ones that are writing the story, you're the ones that are creating the scenarios. So this is actually a great, um, hopefully a great session for you. So to begin, we wanted to talk a little bit about like the psychology of horror. Like why, why do we like horror? Why do we as people like to be scared and terrified? Because I think when we know that a little bit, we can kind of break down the elements of what makes us scared. So I, I was watching a video the other day, and there's a director, his name is John P. Hess, and he, he talks about a little bit why we love horror in movies. And um, he related it back to our kind of our primitive days, right? There are things that scare us at a primal level. And some of those primal levels are somewhat subconscious, right? We're scared of the dark a lot of times. We're scared of the unknown. We're scared of the great black abyss that's out beyond the campfire firelight, in a sense, right? And those types of things end up triggering within us that primal uh, fear of the unknown. And for us today, we know that those things aren't necessarily real, right? We've got lights that we can flip on or, you know, thunder blankets we can go snuggle under or whatever it is. You know, we've got these things that that can comfort us, but it triggers us back to some of those primitive days and some of those primitive feelings that we have that we might connect with us at a a, uh, more fundamental level. And there's there's also a buildup. You know, we uh, humans are driven, I think, by emotion. And fear is one that can really kind of build itself inside us. And when you have an appropriately uh, uh, driven or laid out path to to kind of uh, reach the peak of that fear, then you can have an appropriate release on the downside. And if you look on the handout, you'll see there's kind of a little graph there we'll talk about. That's from an essay from Ash Law, and we'll get into that a little bit later. But uh, it's really this, this concept of being afraid is a very strong emotion. And not only can it, can it kind of build up 
kind of tension inside us, but it can also give our bodies a real strong release. When we get over that hump, the monster runs into the room, all the suspense is realized, we actually have somewhat of a release inside us. And uh, so we kind of want to talk about that a little bit more today. One of the things that's important to realize is there's really four things that build horror, okay? And we've, we've got some of, the, some of the different levels of fear there, but the four things I really want to hone in on right now is that um, you build tension. You can build tension in your games through four things. Creating mystery, right? It's the fear of the unknown, what is happening. We don't know how what's going on. Through suspense, oh my gosh, something's happening, what's going on? You know, but it's, it's happening right now, right here, right now. Through shock, so, you know, something happens and it shocks your players, it shocks your characters. And the last thing is through the gore, right? So this is, and, and when I say gore, I mean, yes, I mean some of the blood and guts that happen and type of thing, but it's really the manifestation of the fear that has been building, okay? So you kind of build that through mystery, through suspense, then all of a sudden shock and gore. And that's the, that's the level of tension that you're trying to ratchet up at the table through your players. And um, if you do it wrong, it ends up seeming super campy, right? If you do it wrong, you lose all effect that you have, right? Um, one of the things that's important is that, uh, uh, like relevance, right? Your, your players have to feel, feel part of this. And so if you don't make some of this, these things relevant, um, there's a reason why we laugh at Sharknado. Right, because we know that sharks are never going to come flying out of the sky. It's hilarious to us, right? Even though it has some of the elements that we talk about, suspense and gore and, and shock, right? But it's hilarious to us because it, it doesn't really relate. Um, so, you know, that's, that's, how the, that's what we're going to be trying to do. We're going to talk you through how to ratchet up that tension um, throughout the rest of this little seminar here. Um, but that's really what we're trying to play with. That's the, that's the clay that we're molding. I, I, I'd like to pose a question as a starting point. Yeah. Is why, why do we as players like to do it? Why do we like to play horror stuff? What do you think? More of an emotional response. Like you can, have, you can be drawn into a story that's compelling, but... Sometimes it doesn't reach the levels that, you know, spine tingling and just yeah. being too, too afraid to even open that door. Because. Yeah, back to the emotional response, right? <laughs> Driving that out, out of the table. And it's harder, I think, uh, when you're watching a movie, you've got all of you know, your visual senses and you can be led by uh, effects like proper use of camera, sound, all of those things. But if you try to use, like, Sometimes people will come to an RPG table and they'll put a little music on or something to try to set the mood. But that's really, I think, a really hard way to do it. Uh, you don't have the opportunity to take advantage of some of those tools that we do in the audiovisual world to, to instigate that. So we've got to work harder, I think, to get that emotion um, at the table. I don't know about you guys, but if I were sitting in a horror game, right, and someone put on some really kind of creepy music, sometimes it feels gimmicky. Right, and it can actually detract from the suspense that you're actually building by putting in certain elements of your horror game. So, uh, you know, some of the gimmicks don't don't actually work. You know, uh, uh, it, it it becomes the Sharknado, right? Like once you turn it on, there are people are like, okay, here comes the creepy music, the creepy monsters coming. You know, and and it, it, it takes away with what you may really be trying to do. So try to avoid some of the gimmicks. Um, before we get into this, I just want to say that there's a lot of inspiration out there for horror. I'm sure a lot of you know this. I love to get a lot of my horror stories and, and, and horrific things from um, folklore, 
folklore and myth. Uh, I just ran a game yesterday afternoon. We were playing with a yeah, a couple of my players that are in the back that played it yesterday. We were playing with a striga, which is a type of vampiric creature, right? And it's from Eastern folklore myth. And um, I actually pulled this mostly from the Witcher 3 video game, right? So I got some of this. I tweaked it a little bit to fit the story. And uh, look, it, 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 I think it worked pretty well the, the way you do that. So we take things from myth, from folklore, from video games, all, all sorts of different places. Yeah, one of my favorite video game series of all time is the Dead Space series. It's uh, incredibly terrifying and when I played that game I could only play it for like 30 minute increments and then I'd be like all right I'm good for the day <laughs> gotta take a break and come back the next day but it was really intense uh, a scene what could await you is your fate if you didn't survive was what was in front of you and one of the pitfalls that I think that oftentimes we fall into as GMs is we're like oh my gosh I love that scary movie it was so freaky I'm gonna just totally reskin that for my table right and the problem is is that we uh, sometimes focus on the cosmetic aspect and, and, and maybe the superficial aspect of that story. We're like, oh, that, that monster was so visually frightening that it, when he jumped out, it, it freaked me out. What we miss is kind of the bones behind that, right? What are the bones of the scary piece that really built you up to be frightened by that monster? How did the dread and the terror build up throughout the movie to get you there? So we think, okay, we're going to have a great monster. Let's just slot that into our RPG, and it's going to be totally freaky. And we forget about the buildup that we've got to do and, and kind of the, the building blocks that uh, are required to really drive that point home when we do it. Yeah, the players also are going, you're going to be describing as best you can what's in front of you. But the players are going to be visualizing and actually painting that palette in their heads. So the best we can do is try to drive the players to paint a palette somewhat like what we are envisioning this situation to be. Uh, so we've got to do a lot of preparation in our story to get them to that point to where they're not just going to draw a big blob in their head and not really be afraid of it. Uh, and so what Justin was kind of saying was, how do we do that? And we can start with kind of establishing a baseline. What is reality? And if that baseline is too off in the woods to begin with, then when you finally get to the the big baddie at the end, everybody's already expecting this because they're already out there. So we gotta start, how do we start with a neutral baseline? Yeah, I mean, look, I think that when you wanna do a good horror story, the, the great horror stories don't start at night out and midnight. I mean, look, this is what happens in videos and, and this is important for us, right? We get a glimpse of what the monster can do at the very beginning of a, of a supernatural show. Take Supernatural, for example. They do a really good job sometimes of building some of the suspense on their show. Uh, in the TV show, they'll show uh, you know a young pretty girl walking down the street, and you know everything's fine, and boom, like the the monster comes and does its horrible thing, and you're like, oh my gosh, that totally freaked me out. And then we cut back to you know the two brothers doing their thing. Um, that works great in TV. It's really hard to get that same sense in an RPG, right? You can't do a quick cut scene that gives you that visualization. Uh, for your players. So what has to happen is you almost have to pretend that those, that that thing never happened for your players. You need to start out at the normal place. Um, H.P. Lovecraft gave us a great quote in one of his um, in uh, one of his books. He said, "It's a mistake to fancy that horror is associated inextricably with darkness, silence, and solitude. 
I found it in the glare of mid-afternoon, in the clangor of a metropolis, and in the teeming midst of a shabby and commonplace rooming house with a prosaic landlady and two stalwart men by my side. Right, so I, I really truly believe that what H.P. Lovecraft is saying right here is that horror, the best horror isn't born out of the scary things that go bump in the night. We know those things are scary already, right? Start your players out in a place where they feel comfortable, where they feel safe, at a tavern, as they're walking into a nice, peaceful town. Nothing's wrong with this situation, right? They're walking into it thinking, hey, this is normal. I'm going to go in and buy a couple of health potions before we go take on that dragon down the road, right? And that's when you can, boom, get them with, the, with, with some of the horror stuff that builds up because they're going to start saying, what the heck is happening, right? What the heck is going on for us? Yeah. Well, so what? Uh, let me throw another question out there. What do you think um, is a good way to transition from that? Because all of us can create baseline normal scenarios. What's a good way to transition from the next step from baseline normalcy to the next thing without falling over the ledge too fast? What do you guys think? Any ideas? Probably like mystery, right? Something unexplained that doesn't necessarily rear its head as some mystery. Evil, okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah, some mystery. Not necessarily super evil or sinister, but a, a good mystery. Again, I'm repeating your question a little bit so we can get it for the mic. Right. For, the, for, for those on. All right, anyway, for posterity. Uh, I'd say the Uncanny Valley. Okay. The, something that the Uncanny, uncanny Valley, okay. Uh, where it's, where once you've created that baseline, it's something that's just off enough that it's out of place. Um, best... The best place I've heard the Uncanny Valley referenced is mostly in video games with like artwork. Uh, think Oblivion. Yeah. The characters are they just look wrong. Yeah. <laughs> because we're expecting a human face and they're not anywhere close. That's a good point. So uh, the Uncanny Valley is that gulf basically between what the players expect, what what those baseline expectations are and what's off a little bit. So if we're walking into a town, right? We're going into a town, things seem, you know, you're walking out, this seems like a perfectly normal village. What would be some things that your players might spot right offhand that, see, that, that are part of that uncanny valley? That something's wrong with the town. What, what would you describe that as? Well, to use one of your examples, there's no children, or to use one of the examples on the sheet, you just don't spot. There's no children around. Well, that's kind of weird, right? And it, see, it's weird. And, and I think that that's important, right? It's not scary. It's weird. Like something's weird, right? Anything else? Any other ideas from anybody? Yeah. Maybe everyone in town has something similar. They're all wearing maybe the same armband or okay. necklace or something. Or yeah. Like everyone's the same. There are things that are all the same, right? Uh, it could be maybe a little Stepford Wives-ish, in a sense, right? Like they're all dressed the same, same haircut, same outfit, uh, same armband, as you said, same necklace. Okay, that's a little weird that everybody's doing the same same deal. Yeah. Something abnormal with animals or insects. Okay. Excellent. So you expect nature to be chaotic and a little wild, right? Now it's somewhat organized and... Uh, co you know, co uh, coalesced around something, yeah, or maybe good. the absence of like you know, for some reason all the bees disappeared like two weeks ago, and we don't, no one no one's seen a single bee anywhere or fly or something, you know, in a pigsty where there's no flies. They've been gone for two weeks. Could you do mannerisms like none of the women are speaking 
right? They all defer. Right. To that. That's weird. And yeah. It's scary, but definitely uncanny. Yeah. yeah. That I think, especially today in today's society, that kind of a plot tool would absolutely hit home with the players very quickly. Yeah. Yeah. A classic movie trope is just tweak with the weather. It's okay. the fog yeah. that rolls in. Well, there's never been fog here before. Or, oh, it's June and there's a snow flurry. What? You know. That's, that's a classic and the town movie. itself feels like it's weird, right? Yeah. Well, this is kind of strange. It's, it's just it's, it's something illogical. Yeah, we we had that in. Yeah, tweaking with the weather. We had that in one of our settings, and that's a, such an easy way to give the players a real quick brain t uh, tip tip off that something's wrong. We it was the middle of summer, and all of a sudden it felt like the fall. Yeah, like it just one day all of a sudden you went outside and it was just really cold. Just telling the players that right, you know, you go outside today and all of a sudden it feels like really really cold. Immediately the players know something's up, and then the brains start going this way and that way. Yeah. So now that you've kind of established that mystery, that you, you ratchet up the tension through mystery, right? And this is the, the level of fear here is unease, okay? This feels off. This feels weird. I am now a little bit more on alert is how your players should be feeling with this, right? They shouldn't be in full-blown alarm right here. Um, creating unease is so important because what's going to happen is you're going to ratchet up the fear and you're going to bring it back down to unease. So all of a sudden your new baseline as you keep going is the unease, right? You've brought them up and bringing them down. You're never going to bring them back down to that baseline again throughout your horror session. You want to bring them down to the unease, okay? So it's key to establish that unease is the new baseline, the, the, mm -hmm. new, the new normal for them, because then it's, when they look back to the whole thing, they're going to be like, wow, that was really messed up, you know? Yeah, and <laughs> so to, to, to kind of take an example we just talked about, to go to the next step, say that, you know, they go into a town and, you know, this is a town that's kept beehives for years, and, you know, for the past... Two weeks, we say there's no bees. No one knows where any of the bees are. They don't know what's going on. And then the players are on the outskirts of town doing something, and all of a sudden they find stacks of thousands of dead bees, just stacks of thousands of dead bees. It's like, okay, now that unease, that, okay, well, whatever, maybe the bees are, you know, the players don't know anything about bees. Maybe they just think, well, it's just the wrong time of the year or something. But now they've seen a realization that something is wrong here in this world that a physical you know thing they can actually reach out and touch and see something is wrong that unease has moved to a new level and that new level in ash uh, law's essay he terms it as dread now that unease is kind of ramped up a little bit now it's dread oh something there's something actually wrong we know it's real and we're gonna have to, we're gonna have to do something about it we're gonna have to avoid it but it's going to impact us yeah the mysteries all of a sudden become a problem right now you're like, uh-oh, this is actually a thing. This wasn't just a weird coincidence that yeah. we see. This is actually a problem. This is a thing. This is, this is where you get the suspense tension, okay? This is where you build suspense, okay? Um, I don't know about many of you, but I know that for me, I been playing a ton of Red Dead Redemption lately, okay? So I know uh, some of you may have been playing it, but let me let me give you a little scenario real quick, right? Uh, I'm I'm out hunting for animals. I'm looking for a nice white-tailed buck to take back to my camp, and I'm out there hunting for animals, and I'm riding along. There's my baseline, right? It's a beautiful day out. I'm riding through the woods. I'm going through a track. All of a sudden, I see a huge collection of vultures, just, just up over on the ridge right there, okay? There's my unease. That's weird. 
that's a huge collection of vultures right there, right? I don't, I don't know what the heck is going on there. As I ride up, I see that they're just really tearing at something. So I get off my horse and I go look, and it's a man that has been nailed to a tree, and it's just like bloody and been like eating. Uh oh, there's a problem here, <laughs> right? The monster hasn't revealed itself because the monster is not there, right? What happened is my unease was there of saying, like, that collection of animals that we talked about is strange. And now I go there and I say, this is actually a problem. Turns out, you know, it's part of, uh, like, this uh, quest thing that you've got to go on and find a serial killer in the town and all this stuff. But anyway, the point is, is that even in the simple Old West video game, we've injected a little bit of horror in here. And we've done it through the unease of seeing these animals and now the dread i found the problem this is this is here and i literally stopped as soon as i said that i had my character whipping around 360 i was like looking i was checking my six i was trying to figure out what was going on i didn't want to be ambushed i didn't know if it was a trap right your players should kind of have that same feeling as they go into and they find this element of dread that wait wait this is this is a real thing like what's going on here you know and so the mystery has turned into suspense uh you know they know that there's a problem it's around somewhere but they just don't know exactly where so what what is the next step at this point they've they've, they've had a normal they know what normal is they realize something's odd and then they have confirmation that that odd thing is actually a very bad thing what's the next step is the next step to bring the monster right out in front of them no what is it even more. Ratchet it up. And use the step of unease to dread and just kind of keep climbing. Yeah, yeah, you can see it on that chart, the handout we gave, right? It's got that little, like, it's not just unease, dread, and then boom, the next one, the next one. There's a little, you know, it's like uh, Ash calls it, like, I think he's calls it about a roller coaster. It's like, you know, you get the little ones and the little ones. The big one is until the end of the ride, right? Okay, same, same thing with our emotions. The big ones isn't yeah. until the end of the ride. Taking this Red Dead example, I rode off. Right? Uh, the, nothing happened. Nothing actually happened. Nothing popped out at me. I rode off, but I, you guarantee I was thinking about what the heck was that? That was weird. So my, my dread went right back down to the unease for a little bit. It can go back up. It can go down. You Like, play with this often, right? Have it go up. Have it go down. And, and pick certain points of your session where, look, at this point, it's going to be just feels weird you're, they're gonna see another weird thing that sets them off you know makes makes them feel uneasy again and then pick another thing at, at a certain point that's gonna ratchet up that dread yeah you gotta give them a feeling of safety right because that's one thing too if you ever see like a crazy uh horror movie that just it once it ratchets up it never lets back down eventually we just get saturated emotionally to it and you, at that point you're just watching the movie and watching the gore or whatever that's it's there at the end and it's You've already been affected, and the last half of the movie is just wait, you know, watching to see what, what happens. Not really having an emotional roller coaster with it. So, uh, you've got to be able to control that. Give them a feeling of comfort and safety that they still have control of the situation. Um, yeah. So, how do you work in combat encounters earlier in the storyline? Because I know a lot of games, a little bit of combat is kind of expected. So you're balancing out, but if you do a combat, sometimes yeah. you, you get that sense of, oh, mm -hmm. everything's okay, yeah. we beat the monster, but maybe they beat the wrong monster, and they, they put two and two together and got three, you know, you, you can't yeah. you, you can't blow your wad on early on with, with a major 
major combat thing that just that, that, that is going to undermine your unease and your dread, right? Yeah, so the question is how can we uh, add combat throughout as we're ramping up between unease and dread, right? We don't want to have them fight the monster right offhand and, and have them go straight for it, right? So how do, how do we add that in there? Yeah, I would say um, you kind of answered the question yourself when you said, you know, they fought the wrong monster or, or something, right? There's, if you just have a, a story or a campaign or even a one-shot built around just one thing, that's not very satisfying for what most of us come to an RPG table to do, right? We want to have a handful of encounters. And when I run homebrews and, and one-shots and things, I usually, um, I usually have a table. And on that table, I have two columns. And on the left side, I have the title is role play opportunities. On the right side, it's encounter opportunities. And I make sure that in a four-hour session, I usually go for four on each side. Now, does that mean the players are going to hit them all? Maybe, maybe not. It's up to them, right? But I, get, I make sure that the, the story has four opportunities to have four role play and individual role plays that are independent that will deal with this roller coaster of horror or four combat encounters. So I, I don't just have the monster, right? Now, the players could, through their wit, find a way to only have to battle the monster. But there are opportunities that we have to present opportunities there that ramp up the, um, ramp up the combat as well. Uh, I think it's probably, most people would probably expect that the first combat encounter you're going to have when you come to the table is not going to necessarily wipe the party that night, right? But um, it can still play into the things, the problems that they're seeing. Like maybe they come across that pile of thousand dead bees, right? And there are some other mutated insects that are there, and now they have to deal with those insects. Now they, all of a sudden, they've got to deal with those insects, they get through that encounter, then they have a moment to stop and actually look around them and say, all right, what's going on here? Not only did we, all the bees are gone, now we found all the dead bees, and then we were attacked by, you know, man-eating, you know, praying mantises. What, what is going on? So they had an opportunity to have some combat without just kind of going right to the punchline. I think here, misdirection is one of your best friends. I love misdirection, right? And, but in the best possible way. So in the session that I ran yesterday, right, we had this Striga that was clawing people up and sucking their life force out of them. But we all, they, they also, the players also found that there were some mutilated animals and things like that. So the first, can, the first um, combat encounter that they had was with a bunch of wargs, which are kind of like dogmen, right, that would tear people up. Oh, weird. We think maybe the problem's solved, right? We think we found the problem here. This is it. This is like e easy day, guys. You know, like wash our let's wash our hands and go to the end. Like we're 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 all good. Oh, psych. That's not the that's not the real problem, right? And that just kind of adds to that. Oh, well, wait a minute. We were wrong. The mystery and the dread of oh, there's something bigger and badder out there right now. So I think misdirection is a great opportunity. And if you can align it, maybe make a parallel with what your monster does and what his MO is and what maybe some other combat encounters are, that just feeds that uncertainty and, and uncanniness of what's going on. Yeah, Shadow of the Demon Lord is a good example of an RPG that can support misdirection but still make it parallel to the story. And that is... The, one of the themes of the Shadow of the Demon Lord is that the, there is a void that connect, or there is a, a realm outside of ours that the demons actually reside in. And that border between our realm and theirs is cracking. And it's not just that the demons are coming through, but they're corrupting influences coming through. So there may be some overall really evil, corruptible monster near the town that's causing a problem. But they're in, 
that corruption can influence the world around them and be causing the dogs to get ferocious and turn against their masters, creating these encounters that aren't necessarily parallel, t that are tied directly to the story, but are affected because of the monster's presence. Yeah. yeah. Kind of like using uh, your bee example, you go up to the pile of bees and suddenly, oh, these aren't just dead bees, these are zombie bees. Zombie okay. bees. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. A or maybe yeah, maybe some demonic souls have found their way into the bees. And yeah. Go from there. Anyway, there's lots of places you can go with it. Yeah. So once you've been playing around with that unease, that dread, you know, going back and forth, really kind of again establishing that baseline that unease is the new normal, right? You can uh, ratchet it up to the terror. Now, don't go straight from unease to terror right it's the roller coaster again right you can't start out at the base and end up at the top of the hill right you need to kind of move up through those phases and if you go too slow or if you go too slow you're going to bore your players if you go too fast the effect is going to be completely lost this is the shock phase okay this is not the full-on we're seeing the whole horror this is the oh my gosh the terror is happening right now to us we feel it we don't see it we feel in and sense all of its effects around us okay it hasn't manifested itself but we're seeing the um uh the influence of the being here movies are great for this this is a great opportunity to look at what happens just before this being manifests itself like if it's a demon type of thing lights start to flicker right the ghost like lights go out i mean this is you are right in that moment feel seeing and feeling the presence of this entity, but you don't actually see the monster itself. As if you're in a house with a ghost, maybe all of a sudden, like you're, you can see your breath. It gets so cold, like you, uh, you know, you're maybe people are starting to have crazy visions about things that are happening. There's manifestations, really. Yeah, picture um, a lot of a lot of movies do this, and they do it well. Uh, where, let's say that the players go into a room, and they're in the room protecting maybe a family. And the, the local militia for, you know, shuts the door and says, stay in there, protect the family. The militia is just outside on the other side of the wall. And you can hear the militia fighting and being torn apart by something on the other side of the wall. At that point, you've moved out of the unease, the dread. You're at the terror place. You're, you are about to see whatever is causing this problem. You can hear it. You know it's right there, three feet away from you, separated by wooden planks. And what what is going to happen? I mean that that is you are you are on that roller coaster, tick 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 tick, getting ready to come down on the other side at this point. My wife and I totally binged the Haunting of Hill House like for Halloween, and I see a bunch of you nodding your heads. And what you will find in that series that it did really well is it showed glimpses of the monsters, so it did sort of. It, sorry, I'm getting tongue-tied. It did sort of show manifestations of them, but not the full-blown, here it is right here, right? There was one scene where a little boy's hiding under his bed, and you hear, kathump, kathump, of a man walking with his cane down, the, you know, down this hallway, and the door opens, right? So you see from his perspective under that like foot of bed, right, the door's opening up, and you see this ghostly cane and these two feet that are floating right you're seeing the cane you're hearing it you're seeing the feet you don't see the full manifest uh, like the full apparition right in front of you you see the manifestation of it and then it you know it stops before its bed and it's just this moment of 
complete terror that is happening and you don't even see the monster like you just know it's there it's about to get you that's what you're aiming for in this phase right here that ratchet it up that moment right before it manifests itself like and guess what bring it down to a dread again don't give them that satisfaction the first time of seeing it right bring it right back down to dread and be like oh my gosh that just happened that thing just happened right and and go away from it for a little bit i mean that's the great thing until you get to the last stage which is the full manifestation of the horror of what you're trying to show you can play with it up and down and the more that you do it like the more effective it can be right don't go overboard i'm not saying that but uh you know the more that you bring it up and down like the the, the better it can be yeah there's a book uh i read recently which wasn't actually a horror book but it had a quote in it that i thought was important and that was the first 15 lives of harry august it's it's actually a story about someone there's a small percentage of of people among us that when they die their their mint their mind is actually transported back to the moment of their birth and they relive their lives again with the memories that they had throughout their entire prior life and this just they're immortal just continues forever um great book i'd recommend going to read it really interesting uh story but there's a quote in there that um this person who's gone through this he's had several lives where he actually experienced torture when people kind of found out about him and they tried to use him to like predict the future and things anyways he got tortured a lot and he made a statement that, that he says here that they say the mind cannot remember pain, but I say it barely matters. For even if the physical sensation is lost, our recollection of the terror that surrounds it is perfect. So he lived all of these lives. He was tortured. He couldn't remember actually experiencing and feeling the pain, but he remembered the terror around that scenario. And that's what you want your players to take home. You want them to at the end of the night to go home and remember the terror that they experienced, which is why we have to focus on doing this rather than just throwing blood and guts at them at the table. Yeah, if you go straight from baseline to terror, if you go straight from unease to terror, it's going to feel campy. It's going to feel like um, Friday the 13th. And you know what? That's kind of what they're going for in those movies, right? The shock and awe, the shock phase. You're always in a constant state of running and afraid of your life because you're seeing this thing coming at you. Um, but true horror that we want to try to get across maybe during our tabletop RPGs, you've got to get that build up, right? You've got to ratchet it up the right way. So um, next step. You've also got to satisfy yeah. that, though, right? I mean, you can't just continually wind and, <laughs> wind and wind and wind and wind and wind that and never let it go. Eventually the players are going to get they're just going to get saturated and frustrated with the environments. So you've got to have that, that release. So eventually the monster's got to come crashing through the wall or the players have to go find the monster's lair. Or, you know, this is just a simple example to, to confront them. They've got to have that, that finality of all of this roller coaster ride that they've, they've been having. And th typically this is when the gore and, and all those things can, can fall in, sometimes too much, and you can overuse that, absolutely. But uh, this, this is when they've got that realization of everything they've been building up to at this point. Yeah, this is pay dirt, guys. This is when they crash through, they see the monster. This is when you get to describe all of the blood and guts and saliva and sharp teeth and spines and sharp claws and all this stuff. And it actually means something because they've seen it all manifested before, right? It actually means something. And uh, the, the, this experience is, in a sense, meant to be cathartic. Right? This is meant to, like, you've built up this fear, you've built up this kind of inner angst about what's going on, and all of a sudden, boom, right in front of you, we can beat that guy. 
right? It scares the holy living bejesus out of us, but we can beat that guy. We can go after him. And that's kind of what it's meant to do, right? Before you were sort of eliciting a fight or flight response and ratcheting that up, but your characters are, you know, your players' characters, they're fighters at heart, you know? So they're going to do that fight or flight. You want to get them into that stage where they're like, we're terrified, but we're going to fight this because we know we have to. Yeah, I'll give you a uh, an example of this cycle in uh, going back to Dead Space. In Dead Space 2, a video game, uh, gosh, very terrifying, brutal game. You're basically, you know, in having monsters chasing you the entire game. Well, about three quarters of the way through Dead Space 2, you're traveling, you're kind of walking through this um, abandoned science facility. At this point, you are already know what the monsters look like, you're already kind of desensitized to the problem. So you come into this one room, and there's a bunch of science equipment there, and you find a, a log and a log, and you pull this log up to read it. And as you're reading this log, and the way the Dead Space game worked actually is you could still see the world around you while you were reading kind of a holographic view of, of the letters. And as you're reading this, you're reading this thing that talks about how the scientists were using a method to extract information out of the brains of people. And the way they use that is they had a machine that would inject a needle into the eye of the individual. And while you're reading this, you can actually look through the words and see a machine through the words. So you've got this, you get this feeling of unease as you're reading, whoa, they were sticking needles in people's eyes to pull stuff out of their brains, right? And then you see the dread because you actually see the machine. You've now realized, oh, this is real. I see the machine, right? Um, so then as you get to the end and you realize in the game, I have to do this. I have to actually participate with this machine. So now your dread is really ramping up. You sit down, you lay down on the machine, it locks your head into place, and then it goes to a mini game where you actually see your face and you see this needle slowly coming down to your eye. And the eye is like twitching, right? Your eye's twitching and you're trying to, now you're using the joystick to try to control this needle to make sure it actually goes nice. So now you're in the terror, you're in the total terror phase at this point. I got, uh, you know, what's going on? You're going up that roller coaster and when you get close enough, if, if you've done it right, the needle plunges into the eye, blood trickles and all of a sudden everything stops and your guy takes a deep breath. So you have that ramp up of, of unease to dread, to terror, and then boom, you come over the hill, you have the cathartic release, and you jump back to a normalcy as the machine extracts and your guy gets back out, right? A very simple thing done way late in a, in a game, the second game in a series that's thrown tons of bloody monsters at you, and they can still find a way to build that tension inside of you. So those little things, you don't have to rely on the monster deep into a campaign to bring out those feelings. Do something different halfway through. Mm -hmm. Now, if you do go monster, if, if that's what you're going for, uh, you don't have to think, oh, you know, we, um, we revealed the monster, ta-da, that's it, we fight, it's over. That's kind of anticlimactic too, right? You don't want to just be like, oh, and this crazy monster comes out and he starts with his claws and his teeth and, all right, ta-da, you beat him, game over, we're all going back, right? Think of some other ways that you might be able to kind of prolong that horror of being in the presence of the monster, right? Part of it is... Uh, like all of a sudden it's not taking it's not taking damage anymore right this is a different problem now that we have like we're here with this horrific monster and it's not taking damage what is going on right it's still kind of almost going into the problem solving that you need to solve this horror again and that can be horrific in itself because you're like if we don't do this we're on a timed basis obviously if we don't do this quickly we're gonna get eaten 
right? So let's let's move through it, and uh, we got to figure out what's going on. So like. Maybe maybe it latches onto somebody's face and starts sucking out their soul, right? Maybe it's it, and you're like, oh my gosh, that is pretty bad, right? And they can't do anything about it, and it's it's doing something just absolutely crazy that is way out of the bounds of normal of what you would like. We're not finding goblins here anymore, people. Like this is a, a whole new level that we've that we've reached. You can keep playing with that a little bit as you extend this element of the actual horror, right? So you've ramped up. And if you think about it, a roller, a real roller coaster doesn't just go down and stop, right? It goes down, it does a loop, it goes around, it, it does some other things that it's trying to get. And you can do that in the combat. You can do that, you know, as it maybe it disappears for a little bit and manifests itself still more. So they're looking around the room like, where to go now? Where to go now? Alien the movie was awesome for that right they would see this thing it would come bounding at them they're shooting the guns at it it would kill somebody and then disappear and they're like where, where did it go where did it go so have fun with it i mean you can have a lot of fun with this element of it but it only works if you've done everything else because like i said before if you throw this at them right in the beginning and you haven't hit all of the other elements and played with them a little bit then it's going to feel like sharknado yeah alien is a just to build on that, Alien's another good example. Most of us have probably seen the movie Alien, I would think, the original. Um, it's another great example because uh, Ridley's character is, or Ridley, she is trying to get, or Ripley, she's trying to get off of the ship, right, at, at the end. Everybody's dead, I'm just getting out of here, right? Yeah. Finally, she gets on the ship. She's had an encounter with the alien, kind of. She gets on the ship and she's out there. At this point, we've got this oh, feeling, you know, but it's not the end, is it? She then has another separate encounter actually inside her, her ship. So, you know, a lot of times when I play RPGs at the table, you have a build-up kind of campaign or you have a build-up setting and you know you're getting to the end, you know you're getting to the end, usually because it's already been three and a half hours and it's a four-hour session. But, you know, you, get, you know you're getting to the end and you have a big boss battle and everybody either dies or high-fives or maybe they high-five after they die or, you know, whatever. And, and then we get up and we say that was fun and that was it. Maybe try to find a way next time to have that not be the end. If you've got, make sure you find a way to reserve 15 minutes at the end and say, all right, you get back to town, great job, the village is happy, the mayor is happy, um, and then make something happen. I did this once, I was, running a, um, I was running a session where everybody actually went in and they had this kind of battle with these creatures. Um, and they got back to town afterwards and, and they're like, oh, okay, you know, we, sit, we solved the problem, it was great. And then they realized, one of them started throwing up. One of them started... He was pregnant with a beast, man. Yeah. <laughs> so they, the monster had actually implanted an egg, kind of like aliens, down inside of them. And so now they thought they were done with the, the, the whole one shot, right? All of a sudden, they've got to solve the problem of getting this thing out of their bellies. And so he went through this scenario of finding a doctor in town and having, I think, three of them had it. Right. Yeah. Three of them laid them out on the bench and the doctors were working and now we were rolling dice trying to save our lives as the doctors were cutting them open and they were bleeding out on the table and one of them got the egg extracted, another one the egg busted inside of them and it's gross. Yeah, it was pretty gross. But it was great because <laughs> it was this everybody thought it was done and then all of a sudden they had this other little terrifying thing they had to deal with. So remember it's a roller coaster, it's not just, you know, the end of the line. Remember that more than you remember the boss battle. Yeah, oh, absolutely. We did great damage. We rolled great dice. No, it was it was pregnant dudes afterwards that were like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm craving pickles and ice cream. <laughs> right, yeah. So cool. that's basically what we wanted to kind of take you guys through is 
you the 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 four stages of tension that you try to do right um which is um uh mystery suspense shock and then um horror and then you know you do this through the levels of fear which are unease dread uh terror, terror and then the horror itself the manifestation itself all right well thanks no? for we, we appreciate yeah. everybody's time and Please talk to us offline. We run a podcast, Blood and Steel. Like I said, we, we love uh, Shadow of the Demon Lords, our big thing right now, by Robert Schwab, Schwab Entertainment. It's a great horror uh, uh, setting, and it's a very easy system to play in. It's very easy to move from narrative to combat and back to narrative, so it really feeds that kind of roller coaster cycle very easily. Yeah. Uh, we're on Google Play, iTunes, SoundCloud, Podbean. So give us a listen if you if you want to check it out. We try to we, we do talk primarily about Shadow of the Demon Lord, but we try to make it pretty universal as well, so that it, whatever you're running, it might uh, come into play as well. So we do what we can. Yep. Thanks for your time, guys. Yep. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.